Hey guys, my name is Brad. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life Church, and I want to welcome you to our online teachings. One of our core convictions as a church is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. Now, I know that for some of us, coming into a church building might be intimidating, it might be scary, and I get that. But I want you to know that there is always a place for you here at New Life and that you were made for real in-person community. We meet on Sundays in downtown Wayland. You can check out our website for more information on service times. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through his word. Love you guys. Have you ever had a conversation with a friend or a family member only to have the thing that you were talking about appear as a Facebook ad a few days or hours later? Anybody been totally freaked out about Big Brother watching? I have so many times. I mean, Trent, our worship pastor, and I were talking the other day about this new kind of upgraded program we're using here at the church for slides and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, all of these ads start appearing on my Facebook feed about these, uh, this new program. I was having a conversation with my aunt the other day about pools. And I've never looked up a pool thing in my life on Facebook. But after that conversation, all of these pool ads start appearing. Totally, totally freaky. I was reading an article the other day that said, is Facebook listening to your conversations? And uh, the summary of the article went something like this. No, they are not listening to your conversations, but they are taking all of the data of your friends and your locations. And when you guys are in proximity to each other, they are kind of listening in on that and noticing that. So the, other, the answer is yes, Facebook is listening in on your conversations. It's quite freaky. And uh, what I, what's so interesting about that to me, what I... Uh, what I see in that is that you can see the effects in your life when you're in the presence of another person, can't you? You can see the effects in your life, whether it's a Facebook ad or the way that we rub off on each other. You can see the effects in your life when you've been in the presence of another person. And the same thing is true with God, that you can see the effects of somebody's life when they've been in the presence of God. You can see the impact. You can see the way it looks. You see, it's, it's one thing to believe that God is present. It's a whole different thing to experience that presence for yourself. It's one thing to believe that he is present, but it's another thing to see the evidence of his presence saturating your life all over your life. For some of us, we've settled with a faith that just views God's presence as something to be believed in, as distant rumor. But God's heart for us is not that his presence would be distant rumor, but that it would be experienced reality daily in our lives. Amen. And the psalm that we're going to look at today, the psalm we're going to dive into today, is perhaps the single most important passage of Scripture for me personally in my whole life. There's no psalm that I've sent to more people in my life than this particular psalm. There's no psalm that for me personally has had more impact than the psalm that we are going to look at today. This is the psalm of hospital waiting rooms. This is the psalm of negative pregnancy tests. This is the psalm of anybody who has ever been let down or waited on God. This is the psalm of the orphan. This is the psalm of the woman who was recently diagnosed with breast cancer. This is the psalm that stands in the gap when what, our, what we believe about God comes to a rub with what we experience of God. You see, for so many of us, we're living with this gap, right? Where we, we read this book 
and we read all of these things and maybe we believe them, but God's heart is not just that you would believe in him. It's that you would experience him for yourself. That you would experience the presence of the living God. And I believe this psalm has something really powerful to say about that. And so I want to begin this morning by just asking you this kind of would you rather question. I want you to think of these two options for your own life. Would you rather, number one, would you rather have a prosperous life absent the presence of God, so an easy kind of everything flows, I'm in a good financial position, no health concerns, no health issues. Would you rather have a prosperous life absent the presence of God, or would you rather have a life full of trial, letdowns, setbacks, that is saturated with his presence? You see, if you come to a question like this, and you haven't actually experienced God's presence in your life, you're going to choose option A every single time. If you you just have kind of an abstract belief, if God's presence is just kind of distant rumor in your life, you're most likely going to choose option A every single time. But if God's presence in your life is lived experience, if you are experiencing his presence on a regular basis, it's not even a contest. It's not even a toss-up. And that's the cry of this psalm that we're going to look at today. For me, this psalm has profoundly shaped who I am as a Christ follower and as somebody who desires to experience the presence of God. And so grab your Bibles with me. Um, I want to read Psalm 27, and it's 14 verses long. I'm going to read the whole thing kind of as we start, so bear with me. Uh, But this is just such a beautiful, powerful psalm uh, that I want to read together this morning probably should have bookmarked it so I uh, can get there faster. Here we go. Here we go. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help. Cast me off, not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. And then don't miss these last two verses here. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your hearts take courage and wait for the Lord. 
you see the cry of the psalm, and David is the one, King David is the one who wrote the psalm. The cry of the psalm is, God, I don't just want to hear about you from a distance. God, I don't want your presence to just be a rumor in my life. For David, his entire life's pursuit, the entire cry of the psalm is, God, I need your presence here. God, I need your presence in the middle of everything I am, in the middle of everything I do. God, I need your presence here. You see, David's desire is to close the gap between our belief about God and our experience of God so that those two become the same thing. David says, God, I want to gaze upon your beauty. God, there is no other place I'd rather be than in your presence. I said this a couple weeks ago. For, for David, heaven, the idea of heaven is this idea of unbroken intimacy with the presence of God. God, I'm hungry for your presence. God, I'm hungry for an experience of your goodness, not just as a belief, but as an experience, a lived reality. Why is it so important that this gap gets closed in our lives between what we believe about God and what we experience of him? Because when the day of trouble comes, you can see the effects of whose presence you've spent time in. When the day of trouble comes, when hardship and trouble and setbacks and a life that sometimes, frankly, isn't all that great, when those things come in our lives, you can see what has been cultivated in the good times. You can see what has been cultivated and what the evidence is of the presence of God. One of my greatest desires, if not my greatest as a pastor, is to see us as a church become people who learn how to cultivate and experience the presence of God in our lives for ourselves. Because everything we do flows out of that. Everything we are flows out of that. Everything we will become flows out of an ability to cultivate the presence of God in our lives so that when we are faced with a would-you-rather question, it is no contest for us. We would choose a life of trouble and hardship and setback with the presence of God. So if you look at the story of Scripture, the drama of Scripture is that at the very beginning of time, Adam and Eve were living in a garden with unbroken intimacy with the presence of God. Adam and Eve are some of the humans who have had some of the most intimate experiences with the presence of God. And then what we know happens is they actually say, you know what, we're, we're kind of good with your presence. We want to kind of reclaim autonomy for our own lives. And what happens is this wedge is created between heaven and earth as a result. This is the drama and the effects of sin playing out. That sin has created this wedge where this, this Eden-like place, this, e this Garden of Eden, God's presence is the only lived reality there. It's the only experience there. But then when sin comes into the picture, when there's this division, this wedge that comes in, what ends up happening is God's presence goes from reality to just kind of rumor. That there's a separation that occurs. And you can see this drama play out throughout scripture. And the central conflict of the Bible is reuniting heaven and earth with each other. It's reuniting us once again with the presence of God. And in the Old Testament, in David's story, you see glimpses of heaven kissing earth in God's presence. One such instance is when David brings the Ark of the Covenant from the Philistines back into Israelite possession. This was a way in which David was saying the presence of God has returned to God's people. 
He is here, and he is in the middle and the center of all we do. It's one of the highlights of David's entire time alive is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to God's people so that his presence was among God's people. David is described as a man after God's own heart. Think about that for a minute. The entire pursuit of his life was going after the heart of God. He is a man after God's own heart. God, we are hungry for your presence. We are hungry for real experiences of your Holy Spirit in our church, in our families, in our lives. This is David's pursuit. And if you know anything about David, he messed this up horribly from time to time. We're actually going to talk about that in two weeks from now. He really botched this. But even still, his life is marked by this reckless, endless pursuit of the presence of God. And as we, uh, as we read through this, I just want you to look at how this plays itself out in Psalm 27. In verse 4, this is what David says, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. God, I don't just want to believe in you. I am hungry to experience you. The presence of God turns rumors into realities. Think about the life of Jesus. There's so many different things that he navigated and that he walked through as fully God and fully human at the same time. But the presence of God turns rumors into realities in our lives. The presence of God turns rumors of grace into realities of grace in our lives. Jesus himself said, those who have been forgiven much love much. Meaning that when grace becomes this thing that's personal for you, not just distant rumor, but actual lived reality, things change for you. With the presence of God, rumors of peace become realities in your life. That's why Jesus could be in the, the hull, the bottom of a boat, while wind and storms come around him and surround the boat. And what is he doing in the midst of that? He's napping. He's sleeping. And then he wakes up and he says, why are you so afraid? And they say, can't you see the storm around us? And Jesus' words are what? Peace. Be still. Because it's in the presence of God where rumors become reality. Not just rumors of peace, but lived experiences of peace. Amen. Same thing is true with stability. Rumors of stability become reality in your life when God is present. That's why Jesus could take his disciples to one of the darkest corners of his world, Caesarea Philippi, and say, on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Because the presence of God turns rumors of stability into realities in our life. I used, to, uh, I used to like the show This Is Us. Anybody watch This Is Us at all? I used to like it until it got boring and stupid. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Some of you guys still like that show. Uh, I did get bored with it, but that's okay. I'm ADD. We all know that. So what was I saying? No, I'm just kidding. Um, so I used to like the show This Is Us. And there's this character in this show uh, named Randall. And Randall is this family man. He loves his family, but he has deep struggles with anxiety, deep struggles with insecurity. 
And so there's this scene that has played itself out a couple different times in the show where Randall and his wife are facing either like a big decision or a crossroads or something feels like uncertain about their future. And Randall is in freakout mode, right? He is like all over the place, super high anxiety, wondering what's going to go wrong. And so his wife always comes in, Beth, and she always goes, Randall, listen, what's the worst case scenario? And so then they play worst case scenario where they kind of evaluate, analyze what every bad thing could happen potentially from this outcome or from this decision. Do you ever play worst case scenario in your own life? (laughs) Where you kind of evaluate all of the outcomes. Like if I lose my job, then I might lose my house, which means I could lose my kids and the, the trail just keeps going on and on and on. Or... What about this one? If I speak up about the abusive, abusive marriage I am in, nobody will believe me. And they may label me dramatic or a liar, which opens the door for more abuse. Worst case scenario, or this last one here. If the biopsy comes back malignant, I could lose my life to cancer. And if my life insurance policy doesn't cover my family and it's not sufficient they could lose everything. Do you ever play worst case scenario in your life? You see, I think a lot of us walk around with this low grade, unhealthy obsession with the different scenarios that could play out in our lives. I, I do. And I, I, wonder, I wonder if God has something more for us than that. Like as I was thinking about this and as I was studying this, I, I think about how much some of us carry in this life. Like some of us live with an unhealthy obsession with the past in our lives. We are just obsessed with things that have happened to us in the past. We let things that have happened to us in the past control us. And we walk around with this deep sense of regret and with shame. That's the first one here if you want to throw that up there, Keegan. That some of us have an unhealthy obsession with the past and has led to a place of deep regret. And we carry regret with us like a weight. Some of us, some of us have an unhealthy obsession with the present. And uh, you'll hear people say a lot, well, just live in the present, be present in the moment. And I think that's good advice. But if you're only present in the moment in your life, you're going to live with a lot of impulsivity. You're going to live with a lot of instability. In fact, living an unhealthy obsession with solely the present in your life doesn't do anything to provide stability for you. You're just kind of go with the flavor of the day or go with where your feelings lead you. And and that's the second one here. An unhealthy view of the present can lead to some profound instability in our lives. And then the last one here, an unhealthy perspective on the future can lead to tons of anxiety. Right, where we're just wrestling. And just like Randall, we're working through every single possible scenario that could be wrong. And some of us, I mean, this describes our life. Right? We're bearing this weight of regret and instability and anxiety, and it is crippling us. And what I love about David, and this is what he does in this psalm, is he doesn't shy away from this stuff. He names it. Just like Randall, he gets very, very specific about the troubles that he is facing. He gets very, very specific about his trials. In fact, I want to just read through some of these for you here. He says, when adversaries pursue me, 
When enemies try to destroy me, when an entire army pushes me, he's like escalating things real quickly here. Now, chances are you probably haven't had an army against you, but have you ever had a day where it feels like everything is against you? Everyone is against you. David names that stuff. He goes on and he says, when war breaks out against me, when my father or mother forsake me, some of us watching, some of us in this room have had parents forsake us. We've been neglected. We've been let down. And I'm here to tell you, and I want to say this as, as gentle as I can, your earthly parents will inevitably forsake you. Whether it be by choice, whether it be through health or through death, your parents will forsake you. The people around you will forsake you. And then he goes on, when, when people slander my name, when they gossip about me, when the job falls through, when the marriage falls apart, when the health deteriorates, David lists so many different things in this psalm. Which makes me want to ask that question we asked at the beginning again. Would you rather have a prosperous life absent God's presence or a life full of trouble and hardship saturated with his presence? Because here's the deal. You can only control one of those scenarios. You can't control whether or not you have a prosperous life or a heavy uh, trial-filled life, but you can control how much of God's presence you experience on a regular basis. You can control factor two. God, I don't just want to believe in you. I'm hungry to experience you in my life. I don't just want you to be distant rumor. I want you to be lived reality in my life. There's a pastor named Albert Tate out in California. This is how he says it, and I love this. He says it's not about being in a high season or a low season. It's about being in a God is with me season. He is with you. Trust God, not your elevation levels. I love that because David goes borderline offensive here. Like if, you, if all you have is a belief in God's presence, this chapter of Psalms should offend you. I want it to offend you if that's the only place that you have gone is just an absent belief in God's presence. This psalm only begins to make sense when you have a lived reality of God's presence in your life. In fact, what he says in verse 6 here is this. He says, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices. With shouts of joy, I will sing and make melody to the Lord. You notice that David calls joy a sacrifice? <laughs> what does that mean? It means it costs him something. That for David, joy is a sacrifice that at one point in his life, David says, I will not bring a sacrifice to the Lord that costs me nothing. That for some of us, we have not experienced joy in a very long time because we just have a belief about God, but not a personal experience with God. That for some of us, joy is hard because God is just distant rumor. He's not lived reality in our life. For David, it's not just about a belief in God. It's about his, his presence. And friends, I got to tell you, I wouldn't listen to a word I'm saying if all I have is a belief in God, but not an experience of his presence. I would disregard it. I'd be offended by it. It would rub me the wrong way. 
but it's only until you have an experience with the presence of God, an experience with his presence, his deliverance, his sustenance, that you would even entertain option B in that would you rather question. It's the echo of Psalm 84 that says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than successful anywhere else. God, I won't trade anything for your presence, but I'll trade, God, I won't trade anything in my life. I won't trade the presence of God for anything, but I'll trade anything for the presence of God. This is Moses standing on the border of the promised land and saying, God, if you are not going with us and before us, I would rather stay in the wilderness wandering with you than go into this land of abundance without you. You see, the cry of Scripture is closing this gap between heaven and earth so that lived reality of our lives is one where we experience the presence of God all the time. Amen. You see, without the presence of God as the greatest, most central pursuit of this community, New Life Church here, the best we can offer a world with brain cancer is Advil. That's it. Like, if we are not a church that is so obsessed, so hungry with going off to the presence of God, then our essential store that we're opening next door quite literally is going to be Advil for a world with brain cancer. It's centering the presence of God in everything that we do. It's pursuing the presence of God in everything that we do where things start to shift in communities, where families start to change, where marriages can be altered where your own sense of regret or instability or anxiety that you are walking with in this life, where those things are given perspective. See, what I love about what David does here is he addresses past, present, and future. He speaks in every single tense in this psalm. God, those regrets of the past, this is what he says. God, you have told me to seek your face. You have been my help in times of trouble. David looks back. He sees God at work in the past. In his present, this is what he said. God, you are my salvation. God, you are my stronghold in the day of trouble. And then future, God, you will take me in. God, you will deliver me. You will let me experience your goodness. You see, what's so beautiful about the Psalms is that in Psalm 23, goodness and mercy follow me. But in Psalm 27, goodness actually goes before me. It's as if there was a God who is and who was and who is to come. That God has been at work in our messed up pasts. And God is working right now in our messed up presence. And God will work in our uncertain futures. As I want you to feed your heart with this reality. That God is for you. That he is with you. That he has not abandoned you. That, Like the song, The Blessing, says that we sang a couple weeks ago or last week. God, you go before me and behind me and beside me and around me. God, you are all around. Your presence never leaves. But it's up to us whether we want that to be lived reality in our lives. I said uh, the psalm was one of the most important, the most important psalm for my life. And uh, it's one I've carried with me throughout my entire life. I've sent it to so many people walking through different things in their lives. It's become a life kind of mantra for me. And the reason being is because the first time I ever heard Psalm 27 was when I was in sixth grade. 
and I was in a hospital waiting room. And my dad was in surgery for a brain aneurysm. And he had a 25% chance of living. And I just remember sitting in this moment with all of these feelings, regret of the rockiness of our relationship in the past between my dad and I. So much instability in the present. Like, God, I, I, I don't know what to grasp onto. I don't know what to hold on to. And so much anxiety about the future. And there was a pastor that came into that waiting room. I don't even remember his name, but I remember the psalm that he gave me. He sat down with me. He shared these words, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And just on and on, these promises that God's greatest desire is not just that his presence would be a rumor in your life, but that his presence would be your lived reality. And the reason the psalm impacted me so much is because in that moment before surgery was even over, something shifted in me. So God, my, my stability is not in the outcome of this surgery. My hope is not in the prognosis of this situation. God, you are my stability. You are my hope. You see, I, I said this already, but at best in the Old Testament for David's world, Heaven kissed earth for a moment. You have glimpses of God's presence with his people. You have glimpses through the tabernacle and temple system of worship and sacrifice. You have glimpses of God moving and working in people's lives. But the New Testament, the New Testament is God saying, I am sending you the reality of my presence. This isn't just rumor anymore. I am sending you my presence in a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. See, God's presence for David dwelled on the Ark of the Covenant. It was at this place where blood was sprinkled, this mercy seat where God's presence resided, where he dwelled God's presence is also there where blood was shed on the cross. See, you want to see God's presence. You want to see evidence of God's presence in your life in this church. Where it happens is in those stories and those moments of redemption. That's where God has always revealed himself most clearly. See, guys, the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes the rumor of God's presence reality for all who will receive him. The church, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, takes rumors of God and turns them into realities in our lives. You see, this essential store that we're opening next door is not just a store that will make life easier, a store where you can tell people about a belief in God's presence, but what we desire in this store is to have prayer and mission be so central to everything we do that people come into that store and they don't just hear rumors of God's presence, they experience it. Amen. That's 
the type of church we are. That's the type of community that we are going to be going into this fall and in this coming year. You see, at the very end of the story, in Revelation 21, the picture of the new heaven and the new earth is summarized in this statement. Look, God has made his dwelling among his people. He is here. He is present. It's not just story. It's lived reality. It's the only lived experience. And the good news of the work of Jesus is that that can be experienced right now. David closes his psalm here. And this is what he says after listing everything that he's walked through. He says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Some scholars say a better translation of wait is hope. Hope in the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage and hope in the Lord. So I want to challenge you this week to practice the presence of God. How do you do that? A good starting place is to pick a psalm. Pick a life psalm. This one's mine. You can't have this one. I'm just kidding. You can. (laughs) Pick a psalm that becomes central for your life. There's so many good ones. Pick which one ever speaks to you most. And then after that, identify the moments in your life of greatest regret, greatest instability, greatest anxiety. Where are you afraid of, of the past and what your story has brought? Where are you feeling instability in the present moment? And where are you feeling anxiety about the future? Take those shortcomings, those worries, those anxieties, and bring them back to that psalm. Say, God, what are you saying? What do you have to say? This is the rhythm of confession and repentance and pouring our heart before God and saying, God, what do you have to say about what I'm walking through? God, I don't just want a rumor of you. I want the reality of you in my life. So do that this week and this month and this year. I promise you, you'll experience his presence in some really profound ways in your life. Let me close this in prayer. And then we, uh, I had asked to save some extra worship towards the end. So we're going to respond just in worship. We're going to go after the presence of God through worship in just a moment here. So let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you that you are present here, that your Holy Spirit is present here, that we don't just have to deal with rumors of your presence where a high priest goes before you once a year and God, no, we have a great high priest. And your presence has been made available to every single one of us every single day of our lives. God, may we run after that with everything that we've got. Jesus, we love you. It's in your holy name that we pray. And everybody said,